Take your Bibles and we'll join together in Philippians chapter number four. Philippians, the fourth chapter, is where we're going to find our text here um, this morning. And uh, we are going to continue the message that we began last Sunday uh, entitled Financing the Lord's Work. The message is entitled Financing the Lord's Work. You should find an insert in your bulletin uh, with the sermon notes that are there so that you can follow along. And we'll do just a brief update from what we talked about last Sunday before we launch forth into some things. And I will tell you if things went the way that they did at 9.30, uh, this will be part two of a three-part message that was not intentional. We had planned on finishing everything up, but there's some things here that I just felt like the Lord was leading us to spend a little bit more time on. And, uh, and so we'll jump into this. We'll begin reading in verse number 10. We'll read down through verse number 13 of this particular text. The Bible says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, as we stated last week, like everything else in life, the, the, the work of the ministry requires funds in order to move forward. It, it requires uh, money, finances. Now, the church has bills just like any business, just like any organization, and just like your own individual home has bills. For instance, there are costs associated uh, with everything here on this property. There are costs associated with maintenance, aren't there? I mean, these buildings don't just clean themselves. Uh, you have to purchase uh, vacuum cleaners and mops and, and uh, disinfectant, and, and, uh, and, and we have to purchase uh, uh, tissue paper, and we have to pur- purchase, uh, uh, you know, Kleenexes and, and that sort of thing, and, uh, you know, and, and we have, to, uh, we have to, to do all of these things. We have to have folks here on hand to run the vacuum cleaners and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and to mop the floors and to do all of the things that we, we talked about. I'm just simply saying that the work of the ministry requires funds. There are costs associated with with maintenance. There are costs associated with outreach. It costs money to print tracts and to print Bibles and and to send and to send uh, you know mass mailings out to communities letting them know that hey we're going to celebrate a risen savior on Easter Sunday or letting folks know hey we have a vacation Bible school coming up there there are costs associated with those sorts of things. Uh, those buses run on gas. Have you seen what gas prices are? Likely you have. Have you seen what diesel gas prices are? Uh, about a dollar higher than what you're paying to put in your actual vehicle. And, and, and so it, it costs money and, and, and maintenance and upkeep of those buses and of those vehicles. And so we understand that there are costs associated with those things. How, how about energy costs? You walked in today and you sat down in a pretty comfortable auditorium uh, it's cool in the summer months, and it's warm in the winter months, and, and, and the lights are on, and the sound is working, and the screens are running, and all of those things are, are able to be done. They're powered through electricity, but that's not free, is it? Those are things that, that we have to pay for. Those are, uh, those are costs that are associated with ministry work. Um, there, there's, there's costs associated with payroll. 
You know, these, these messages have to be prepared for, and somebody's got to deliver them, and, and somebody's got to be there to visit your loved one when they're in the hospital, and someone's got to preach the funerals of your loved ones and, and, and of your friends and of your church family, and, 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 and somebody's got to be here to counsel broken marriages, and someone's got to, uh, to, to win lost souls to Christ. And that's not just people that are on the payroll, but you understand uh, that, that, that God allows certain individuals to come and to serve and, and the church takes care of their needs of a financial nature, and there are costs associated with that. There are costs associated with missions. We think to ourselves of our missionaries, they leave this country and they travel to a faraway country. In order for them to go, they have to apply for some type of a visa. And there's all different types of visas that they would have to get in order to, to live in those countries for an indefinite or extended period of time. And those countries do not just give visas to folks who are coming over from the United States of America to work jobs. They, they don't want their jobs being taken by Americans. And so more often than not, they're on a visa that allows them to be in the country, but does not allow them to work a job and to collect a paycheck. And so instead, what happens? The church in the United States of America, I'm talking about the church collectively comes together and we pledge our support to those individuals and and we say, listen, you go to that country, you go to that land and we'll take care of you. We will stand behind you and we will provide for you financially. And I just got to tell you, there are costs associated with the work of missions. In fact, at this point in time, the Cleveland Baptist Church, I believe, supports in the neighborhood of 180 plus missionaries and mission works all around the world and here in the United States of America. You would have to understand that many of those missionaries and those mission organizations, we are sending monthly to them at the very least $100, some even more than that, depending on their affiliation and connection to the Cleveland Baptist Church. But I'm just here to tell you that there are costs associated with those things. There's costs associated with infrastructure. You and I live in a day and age in which uh, churches cannot, cannot exist or they have a hard time existing without a website and without, uh, uh, you know, without all of the digital aspects of life. And, 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 uh, and churches have to have uh, networks and, and, uh, and, and the ability to access those networks. And, and we're, we're living in a day and age in which we, are, uh, we have security cameras all around this property that are recording you. I probably should tell you that again, that there are security cameras all around this property that are recording you as you come and as you go. And, and, and in the next here little while, we have a number of other cameras that we're seeking to install all around the property because the ones we have uh, probably are not sufficient for what we need them for. And so I'm just simply saying there are costs associated with the work of the ministry. You should know that. You should understand that. And God's design is that the people who are coming and, and they are being fed uh, spiritually, that, that they would in turn provide financially for those who are preparing the meal for them and then are feeding them the meal week after week after week. And God's design is that the people that are being blessed by the Sunday school classes and by the material that is being designed and developed and printed and the, the people that are being blessed by the, uh, by the buses that are running out and that are picking people up and bringing them into church. God's design is that those people give back to the work of the ministry. That's how God designed it. That's how the work of the Lord is financed. And we shared with you just a little bit last week uh, along those lines. We talked specifically last week about the, the givers and that the fact is that God designed that the people of God give to the work of the Lord. 
In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verses 9 to 11, and then in verses 13 and 14, uh, this concept, and we spent some time there last week. Remember we talked about the ox? And that the Bible says it's written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. And then Paul asks the question, he says, was that, was that given by Moses just for the sake of the ox? He said, no. He said that passage was given for our sakes as well. You know what he's saying? He, he's saying when you have someone that is working on your behalf, uh, you have someone that is laboring for you and for your family uh, to meet their needs spiritually. They're out in the field plowing all day long. He says, don't you dare, don't you dare bring that ox back into the barn. Don't you dare bring that ox back into the crib at night and put a muzzle on that ox. No, no, you fill up the, you fill up the container that holds the feed and you can fill up the container that holds the water and you allow that ox to, uh, to eat and to drink and to enjoy of those provisions and you better make that crib real comfortable for that ox because he's working hard for you day after day he goes on to say in verse number 14 of that same text paul writes even so hath the lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel you know what he's saying there he's saying those that stand and preach god's word and they preach the gospel then they are to listen they are to trust the lord and they're to trust the lord's plan and the lord's design and you know what the lord's plan and the lord's design is the lord's plan and the lord's design is that the people of god give to the work of god and the man of god who faithfully preaches the word he lives off of what the people faithfully give week in and week out. That's God's design. That they that, that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And did you know that for the last 21 and a half years, this church has faithfully and consistently given so that me and my family can live and we as a family, we have been some of the recipients of the gifts that you all have given to the work of the Lord. And listen, there should be no shame in that whatsoever because that is what God has ordained. That is what God has designed. As a minister of the gospel, however, I, I have to balance the need to live and to provide for my own physical needs and the physical needs of my family with, with, with the concept of just simply trusting the Lord and resting in his provision for me regardless of my present circumstances. I'll give you, for instance, when I was in Bible college, we were taught in, in, in certain of the classrooms that when you graduate from here, Likely, you're believing that God has called you to pastor or to serve in a church somewhere, and you're going to go through some type of an interview process. In that interview process, we were, we were taught, we were instructed that you're not to bring up funds in that, in that element. Why? Because the minister, the minister of the gospel, he, listen, he lives a life of faith. He trusts the Lord. Now, I think there's a balance there. I think the, the, the balance is, is that, that obviously I don't want to make finances the, the primary element of why I am where I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing, especially as a preacher of God's word, a preacher of the gospel. But by the same token, I do have a family that I have to provide for and take care of. I have children that, uh, that, that need to, an education and children that uh, need to eat and, and, and children that need to have clothes and I need many of those things as well. And so there's a, there's a balance in all of these things. Can I tell you that this is not just a way of life for the minister of the gospel. Did you know, did you know that I believe God's plan is that every believer lives a life of faith? 
You say, well, how would that, how would that, that break out? Because in the world, that is the primary consideration is finances. You sit down in, a, in, a, in an interview process and likely you have already gotten an idea of what that job pays. Here's the compensation package. It starts here and depending on experience, it can, it can go this far. And so you already know going into it, how do you balance that out? Well, I, I got to thinking and I thought to myself, you know, what if you receive a job offer in a place where there isn't a good church? in a place where there isn't a good youth group for your children, in a place that maybe doesn't have a Christian school, that, uh, that, that you believe that that's where, where God would have your children to be, and, 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 you, and you think on that job, and you think about that opportunity, it doesn't have those things, but the paycheck is greater. What then? Do we uproot our families? And, and, and leave a place that God is blessing and God is working and God is growing in the lives of our, our, our children and of our spouse? Do we simply just uproot and, and move to a far distant place that maybe doesn't have all of those things just simply because the paycheck offers more money? Now you understand that as a, as a believer, though you're not a minister of the gospel necessarily, you don't do that in a full-time vocational way, you still are required to live by faith. And some of you, you've made that decision. You said, you know, we, we could move away. In fact, I've been offered jobs, I've had opportunities to go different places, but I'm afraid that I wouldn't be able to find another Cleveland Baptist church. I was just talking to a couple earlier today. They're, they're moving away heading out to uh, another place. And, and, and he said, you know, I've been out there for a couple of months already preparing for my family to come. And he, and he said, I just want you to know something. This will always be our church. And I said, what makes you say that? And he said, well, he said, we've been out there. And he goes, we haven't found, we haven't found a place like this place. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, I said, you, won't, you probably won't find one either. Because there's no place like this place. I hope, you, I hope you believe that. I hope you think that as well. God has been so very, very good to us. But I'm just simply saying, listen, all of us are required to live lives of faith. And according to Scripture, we discover here in this text of Philippians chapter number 4 uh, that, that God has, has, has designed and he has orchestrated an obligation, a responsibility to God's people to give so that the minister can live. But even at that, he is still going to have to live by faith. So last week we talked about the responsibility of God's people to give. This week we're going to spend some time looking at the response of the minister or of the recipient of the gifts that are given by the faithfulness of God's people. Paul reveals his own heart and his mind in this realm as the recipient of the gifts that were given by the church at Philippi through their loving kindness and their generosity. And he shares three things with us. We're only going to be able to deal with two of them here this morning, but we'll jump right into it and get as far as we can. Notice, number one, the apostle Paul says, listen, in living this life of faith as a minister of the gospel, living off of the gifts that God's people give, he says, I want you to know this. Number one, he says this, God always provides. God always provides. Would you look with me in verse number 11 where he writes these words, not that I speak in respect of want. I almost, almost get the idea that Paul sort of gives a, a disclaimer for this section of his writing. And in other words, he's, he's, getting ready, he's getting ready to tell them, hey, listen, you've given 
And, and, and you need to keep giving to the work of the Lord. And, and, and certainly he's involved in the work of the Lord. He's been the recipient of their gifts and he assumes that God is going to continue to use them to provide for him in a financial and otherwise way moving forward. And, and so he sort, of, he sort of adds this little disclaimer uh, to this particular portion of the text. And, and he has, as he does it, he has the reaction of the people foremost in his mind. And, and likely, as he's writing this, He's, he's imagining that they're, they're going to read this and they're going to assume that he is in dire straits. I almost get the idea, I almost get the idea that he waited until the very end of this book to write this particular section. Uh, it's, sort of, it's sort of like he was putting it off as long as he could because to be very frank and to be very honest, it, it's a little awkward, it's a little difficult to, uh, to deal with, uh, with the financial element of things as it relates to giving and certainly to receiving. Uh, can, I, can I just pause for a moment and can I just help you to understand something? That in a spiritual sense and in a biblical sense, sometimes an appeal uh, towards giving is not indicative of a desperate need. In other words, you're likely sitting here and you're thinking, oh man, he talked about giving last Sunday. He's talking about it again today. And he already told us the next time we're together, it's going to be another continuation. Man, I bet this church is really struggling. I bet the, I bet the place is in dire straits. I bet they're really, really desperate. That's, that's sort of how we think. And, and Paul, as he's writing this text, he is sort of taking that into account. And therefore, he, he begins this portion by, by letting, them go, letting them know, hey, listen, not that I speak in respect of want, I want you to know, I want you to know loud and clear, Paul is saying, that I am not in a, I am not in a desperate place. Sometimes, sometimes some might wonder what it's like, what is it like for a, a preacher to stand in front of a congregation, a group of people, knowing, knowing that probably the vast majority of them are living just like he is, they're living paycheck to paycheck, and what's it like for him to stand and for him to encourage them to be sacrificial in their giving and to, and to make sacrifices and, 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 to, and, and to do those sorts of things? Um, is it uncomfortable? Is it, uh, is it awkward? Is it weird? And can I say that truthfully? It's all of those things. It is. It's a little uncomfortable. Because I know, I know how people think. Someone says, Preacher, what are you preaching on tonight? We talk about giving. The eyes begin to roll. You know, the loud sigh. <sighs> Again. I get it. I get all of those things. I understand it. And so, there is a human element in which it is a little awkward. It is a little uncomfortable. It is a little weird. But can I tell you that while it's all of those things, can I tell you that it is wonderful as well? And here, here's why it's here's, here's why It's wonderful. Because it's Bible. It's the word of God. We're preaching through the book of Philippians and it wouldn't be right and it wouldn't be fair for us to preach all the way through Philippians chapter four and verse number nine and for us to close the book and say, okay, we're done. That wouldn't be right, would it? No, no, we, listen, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to preach through the very end of the book. And the apostle Paul he, he delays, it seems, in including this element in, in his writing until the very end. Likely, maybe he's doing the exact same thing that, that we're saying. It is a little uncomfortable. It is a little awkward. It is a little weird. But can I tell you, it is solid Bible teaching, and you need to hear it. We all need to hear it because it's the truth that comes from God's Word. I, I sort of liken it, sort of it to this. I, 
I think to myself of uh, the fact that I've had opportunity. The Lord's blessed my wife and I with four children. And uh, oftentimes those children will, uh, will, will, will develop, come down with some type of a sickness or some type of an illness. And, uh, and, 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 and sometimes it gets so bad that we have to even take them to a doctor so that they can be seen by a doctor. And oftentimes that doctor will say, well, you have this virus or you have this infection. And so I'm going to make a prescription. You need to have this prescription filled. And I need you to, you know, to take it to the local drugstore and, and to get it. And, and, and try as hard as those pharmacists do. They oftentimes try to make that, uh, that medicine taste good. Now, sometimes it's grape flavored and sometimes it's orange flavored or maybe bubblegum flavored. But you know as well as I do that they can put those flavors in it. But at the end of the day, medicine is still medicine, isn't it? And you try, you try reasoning with a four-year-old. Oh, it tastes just like bubble gum. That kid's looking at you like you, stinking liar. I know it doesn't taste like bubble gum. It's medicine. I want no part of it. And maybe your children are like, like some of mine. I mean, they seal their lips, and it is an all-out war. I mean, I'm, I'm prying their mouth open. My wife's got the spoon on the other end, and she's trying to force it down their throat. And even if we get into their mouth, and they have this weird gag reflex, and it all comes out in the end, and we're right back to where we started. In some respects, honestly, in some respects, there are certain things that are bitter, but they make us better. And, 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 and giving and teaching on giving, you know, sort of like coming to church and, and the minister saying, hey, I, I got some medicine that you need to take here this morning. And you're sitting here saying, I don't want to take it. My lips are sealed. And the Holy Spirit of God pries your mouth open so that the preacher can put the medicine in the spoon and so that it can go to where it needs to go. And that bitter tasting thing, which it, again, it's a little bitter to talk about these things and to deal with these sorts of things. But listen, here's what it does. It makes us better. So as it relates to giving, we, we understand that this disclaimer is given. Paul's saying, listen, I want you to understand something. I'm not begging. In fact, in fact, he says here when he says, not that I speak in respect of want, he, he literally is, is writing and he says, I'm not coming to you from a position of desperation. The word want uh, in our text is translated from the Greek word hysteresis, which means destitution or destitute. So, so literally here's what Paul's saying. He's saying this, he's saying, listen, I am not destitute. I am not desperate. God has been faithful to meet my needs. Now, now let's, th- let's pause for just a moment. Think about where's he writing this from? He's writing from a Roman prison. We told you last week that Roman prisoners were in the prison and the responsibility of the Roman government to them was none other than to lock them up and to keep them locked up. They did not have a responsibility to f- provide for them. They did not have a responsibility to feed them. They did not have a responsibility to clothe them. They did not have a responsibility to make sure that they were, were, were warm at night and that they were cool during the day. They had no responsibility whatsoever towards them other than to lock them up and to throw the key away and to keep them locked up. And yet, and yet the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, I want you to know something. I am not destitute. I am not desperate. You know what that tells us? That tells us this. God always provides for the needs of his people. And what I'm saying is this, you, you, you may be here today and you may think to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm fretting and I'm stressing about this bill and about this responsibility, this is on the horizon. I don't know how we're gonna deal with this. I don't know how we're gonna take care of that. And you may have lots of worries and lots of anxieties, but I just wanna remind you, if God can take care of the Apostle Paul in a Roman dungeon, if he can write a letter and he can say not 
that I speak in respect of want. I am not destitute. My needs are met. My belly is full. I have clothes on my back. I have a pillow to lay my head on each night. I am not desperate. If God can take care of Paul's needs behind a prison bar, don't you think that God can take care of your needs and my needs? Truth is, the truth is this. God always provides. I, I wholeheartedly agree with what Paul says here. I preach this message not because we're desperate. God has been very, very good to the Cleveland Baptist Church. And God has been very good to the servants who work here. I don't, I don't teach this today to fleece more finances out of God's people. I don't preach this today so that I can live more comfortably, so that I could buy a bigger house and, and I can drive a nicer car and I can wear nicer suits. Listen, I don't teach this because I'm starving and cannot afford basic necessities. No, no, God has been so faithful to me and to the others who serve alongside me here. Oh, listen, don't, don't get the wrong idea. The Folger family is extraordinarily blessed. In fact, we're blessed beyond what we deserve. No, 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 listen, this teaching does not come from a place of being destitute and desperate. This teaching comes from a place where we just simply want to be faithful to what the Bible preaches and teaches. Number two, notice, not only does God always provide, and the minister must acknowledge that and understand that, and anybody who's gonna live by faith must understand that God always provides, but number two, he teaches us in this text that living by faith requires contentment. Living by faith requires contentment. In verses 11 and 12, he, he goes on to say, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We're not going to have time to get to verses 12 and 13 this morning, so let's just park here in verse number 11. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to live by faith, you must, you must develop a spirit or a sense of contentment. And then he says this, he says, I want you to understand that number one, this is something that is learned. This is something that must be learned. In other words, in other words he's, he's telling us that this does, not come, uh, this does not come naturally. It does not come to the flesh easily. Here's what I believe. I, I, believe, I believe that God, God enrolls each individual who's going to live by faith, God enrolls them in an unseen classroom so that they can learn how to live by faith and to do so with contentment. I have completed a high school education as well as a college degree, but there are, can I just tell you, there are some things, there are some things that can never be learned in a classroom. Some things you have to learn by experience. You have to learn by doing them. For instance, um, you, you likely uh, have heard someone say, say to someone who, you know, is maybe expecting a child or doesn't have a child yet, you know, hey, hey, listen, when you're a parent, you'll get it then, you'll get it then, you won't understand it now, but you'll get it then, something along those lines. We were just talking about that just yesterday. That, that, that you, have to, you, you have to function in that role before you fully grasp and realize what it, what it means to be there and, and how that changes your heart and how it changes, changes your, your attitude. And can I just simply say that there are some things in the Christian life, there are some things as it relates to living by faith and, and, and doing what God's called you to do that, that, you, that you, have to, you just have to learn by experience. They cannot be taught in a classroom. In, in the school that God enrolls people in, as they, as they learn to live by faith and do so with contentment, uh, they're going to learn things like how to develop and maintain a walk with God. Likely your walk with God is different than mine, and mine is different than yours. 
But if you're, if you're growing in this life of living by faith, you better have one. You better be walking with God. That just simply means to be in fellowship with him, to be in connection with him. You understand that if you have a relationship with someone and you never spend time with them, you never talk to them, that's problematic, isn't it? Uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bode well for the future of the relationship. So in this school that God enrolls us in, uh, there's, there's lessons like how to develop and maintain a walk with God. How about, how about how to keep encouraged in the Lord in spite of difficult circumstances? You're going to have to learn that. How about how to pray? Well, does the Lord know how to teach us how to pray? You receive a text message or a phone call. Perhaps you turn on the television. And the news comes across the scene. And, and I mean, almost daily we're hearing of tragic things that are happening. And we're so burdened about these things. And what do we do? I pray that our first response is to fall on our face before God and to give it over to the Lord. Lord, here's this problem. Here's this issue that we're dealing with. And I just want you to know something. You can't learn that in the beautiful and the easy moments of life. Those things can only be learned in the difficult and the hard moments of life. In the school that God enrolls us in, we'll eventually learn how to be content in the various seasons of life. Can I say that none of these come easily or naturally to the flesh? These things must be learned. And can I tell you this, that underneath this thought of it being learned, you must understand that learning takes time. Learning takes time. Yesterday, we had the graduation exercises for the class of 2022 that were graduating from Heritage Christian School. And my daughter was part of that class, and so it's personal to us. We, we watched her as she went through the various elements of her education, spending 13 years. You ask her, she would tell you they're long and hard and brutal years, right? 13 years to acquire that piece of paper. Isn't that crazy? 13 years, here's a piece of paper. Congratulations. You'd think you'd get a little bit more than that, wouldn't you? But that's all it is. It's a diploma. I thought to myself about her journey. That's a lot of early mornings, isn't it? In Northeast Ohio, throughout the school year, a, a good percentage of the school year is getting up before the sun even comes up. In many respects, maybe getting in the car before the sun has even come up over the horizon. That's a lot of early mornings, 13 years worth. That's a lot of lunches that my wife and I had to make. You ask my daughter, I make a mean salami sandwich. You, you ask her, she'll tell you. I was involved in that lunch-making process, let me tell you. It's a lot of lunches to make. That's a lot of hours of sitting in English class and math class and science and history. In order to, what I'm saying is in order to get the diploma, she had to put in the time. And can I say this? That similarly, living by faith and being content with whatever God decides to bless you with, it takes some time to learn that as well. And, and, and I, I point that out to you because, because you're going to read what Paul wrote here and you're going you're gonna to look at that and you're going to say, I have to be honest, that's not always my attitude and that's not always my spirit. Now, I don't know that I have such a positive outlook in the difficult moments of life and I'm just simply saying, hey, listen, hold on. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been enrolled in a school and if you'll just sit in the classroom and then just learn what God has for you, you'll figure it out eventually. Stay in school. Don't drop out. Because he's teaching us these things. These things are learned. They don't come to the flesh naturally. You're not going to just you're not going to stumble into this. Oh no, it, it it requires a lot of time of God teaching you some things that He wants you to know. Learning, listen, learning takes time. But can I say this? Learning requires an instructor. 
Learning requires an instructor. You say, well, who's teaching me in this school that God has me enrolled in? I believe the Lord himself is teaching you. God is the instructor. See, it's not enough just to go to a classroom. It's not enough just to sit in a desk. If the teacher never comes in and opens the book and begins to cover the curriculum, you're not going to learn anything. And listen, if you've been born again, you've been saved, God has put you in a seat, in a classroom. And God himself wants to be your instructor. You might ask, well, what tools does he use to teach us what we need to know? Just like a teacher will pull down a map in geography class, and she'll hand out or he'll hand out a, a, an assignment, a, a worksheet. Perhaps they'll bring in a visual object because we oftentimes learn so much more by what we see than, than by what we just hear. And so there'll be some type of a teaching tool. We live in a digital age, and, and so the teacher will use different things. Can I tell you that God uses some different things to teach us as well? And I want you to, to leave Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to spend the rest of our time very briefly in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. I want you to see the text that is in front of us. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 is where we're going. Because the Apostle Paul, who wrote that he had learned in whatsoever state that he was going to be content, uh, he, had, he had learned these things. He talks about how, how he learned these things in this text, in chapters 11 and 12. And, and here's, here's what he said. He, he said that God, God taught me some things. Look, he gives, he gives his journey in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 11. And he says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, say one. Thrice was I beaten with rod. You know what he says? He says, in this school that I attended, he said, on eight separate occasions, I got beaten. Some of you are like, that's my experience in school too. Eight times in my education, my time in school, I, I got beaten with some rods as well. I don't know if we do that as much anymore. But Paul says, I was beaten with a rod on eight separate times, verses 24 and 25. Look what he says in verse, verse number 25 as well. He said, I was also stoned. He was stoned and left for dead. He said, he said in, this, in this school, verse number 25, that he was shipwrecked and that he spent 24 hours floating. Listen, floating in the sea. Imagine that. A day and a night, he says, in the deep. Waiting, waiting for someone to come rescue him or waiting for dry land to appear. 24 hours he spent in that condition. He said uh, he was consistently on the road. He says in journeyings often he said that he was weary in verse 27, that he was in pain in verse 27, that he was hungry and thirsty, that he was cold and naked. He said that he was consumed with stress over all the churches that God had given him to minister in. I think we would have to agree that the Apostle Paul, that his education was not just an elementary level, it was not just even a high school level, but that it was a master's or maybe even a doctoral level in intensity. And I just want you to know that God is the teacher in this school and that God uses things like trials and burdens and weariness and fatigue and discouragement to teach us contentment. Paul had come to two conclusions, and we'll finish with this this morning, two conclusions that he had learned, that reveal, I should say, that he had learned contentment in whatever season he was in. And here's conclusion number one, is this, he could not change his circumstances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven to nine, he says, and lest I should, he says, in, in, in spite of all that, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure, 
He says, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know what he's saying? He's saying, when I was sitting in that classroom, the teacher, the teacher gave me an assignment that I didn't want to do. Homework, a research paper, a massive book to read, and look what he says in verse number eight. He says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. I, I almost have in my mind, God's the teacher. And he says, here's the assignment. Here's the burden. Here's the trial that I've given you. And, 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 the, and the pupil, he walks to the teacher and he says, teacher, please, can I be excused from having to complete this assignment? I, I, I don't know that I can handle doing this. This book is too long to read. This research paper is too complex and it's too difficult for me. Uh, this, this examination that is coming, I don't have enough time to study for everything that I'm going to be asked on this question. Can I be excused? God's response is found in verse number nine. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know what that is? That's a fancy way for saying, you can't be excused. Sit down and keep working. That's what God told him. Now you can't, now you can't leave the classroom. Now you're here. No, now you can't finish this course without turning in the research paper. No, you can't get the diploma without taking the test. No, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do, if you're gonna do the work, if you're gonna finish the education, you're gonna finish the schooling. No, no, listen, you've got to complete the assignment. And the Apostle Paul came to the realization, and the sooner you come to this realization and I come to this realization that we cannot change our circumstances, is the sooner that we'll be able to find contentment there. Because if you operate off of the premise of, I can't change this, I might as well be happy in the midst of it, you'll be a whole lot better off. But if you operate constantly from this premise and mindset of, I hate this, and if I can just manipulate circumstances and details a little bit, I can manage to get out of this, you will never be content. Contentment, listen, contentment only comes when we come to the conclusion that we cannot change our circumstances. Can I say number two? Not only could he not change his circumstances, but here's what Paul learned. He learned that God was using his circumstances to strengthen him. Oh, not only was God not going to remove this thorn, this assignment that he had given Paul, but he was going to use this assignment to make him better. Remember the medicine we talked about earlier? Take the medicine. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this, stay in school because I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. Here's the final thing that I'm gonna say this morning. God says to him in, in, in chapter 12 and verse number nine, he says, I want you to know my grace is sufficient for thee. And here's what he says. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, here's how we know he had learned to be content no matter what state. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Here's the point. The point is this. It may seem like this is a raw or a bad deal until you understand this truth, and that is this. Physical weakness is temporary. Spiritual weakness is eternal. Listen, physical strength is only temporary. Spiritual strength is eternal. God says, listen, if you'll, th if you'll start to think along those lines, you'll understand this isn't a raw or a bad deal. 
this is a really good deal for you. And here's why it's a good deal for you. Because the physical side in which you're groaning and you're, you're trying to manipulate the, your way out of the trials and the issues that you're dealing with. And God says, listen, that's just for a time. And in, 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 in turn, I am weakening you physically, but I am strengthening you spiritually. And the spiritual is far more important than the physical because the spiritual is, temp, is, is, is eternal while the physical is only temporal. Just earlier this morning in our men's prayer meeting, the Lord led me to do things a little bit differently than we normally do. We normally take prayer requests and, and ask for folks to tell us what you're burdened about. And this time I said, we're not gonna take prayer requests this morning. We're gonna talk about what God's doing in our lives. We're gonna hear praises. And so we started talking about praises. And then I, I felt led to take it a step further. I said, let's, let's not talk about physical praises. I got a new job. I got a raise at work. My loved one came out of surgery well. All of that's good, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But I said, what is God doing in your life? I don't mean to embarrass him this morning, but Brother Tom, who serves on our pastoral team, slipped his hand up. He said something that you probably thought you'd never hear, but he said this. He says, I'm thankful that the Lord allowed me to have a stroke. You know what that is? That's 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. That is, Lord, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? Because it's in my infirmities, it's in my physical weakness that the power of Christ can rest upon me. It's not a raw deal. It's not a bad deal. It's a good deal. Oh, listen, likely you're in school today. We all are. If you're saved, you're born again, you've been enrolled in a school. It's an unseen classroom, but it's there nonetheless. And there are assignments there are things that you've been asked to do. Those things are trials and burdens that we're, 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 we're trying to get out of. We're trying to be released from. God says, hold on a minute. Stay in school. Keep working at it. And here's why. Here's why. Because, because the physical side is temporal. And you, you, want, you want to be released from the assignment. You want to get out of the hard work. But listen, the hard work makes you better. Not physically, but Spiritually. And that's more important because the spiritual element is eternal, while the physical element is only temporal. Listen, living by faith requires contentment. And can I tell you that that must be learned. It's only learned, it's only learned as we sit in the classroom, as we allow the instructor to pour into us what he wants us to know, as we take the time, 13 years, maybe far longer than that, four years, two years master's degree, another four years to get a doctoral degree. Oh, listen, maybe far, a lifetime of sitting in the classroom and learning from God himself how to live by faith and how to be content while doing it. 